Good morning. Um, oh, thanks. I was told that it was really scary up here and nobody responds or does anything. <laughs> so it is a real privilege to be able to come this morning. For those of you that don't recognise me or know me, I've been here since before the church began, actually. I was involved with the church that this church was planted for, from. So it's a real, real privilege to be able to come this morning and share what I believe God's given me. So as we read the story of Ruth last week, um, I'm not going to read it again this morning, although I will be referring back to parts of it. So the story of an Israelite family living in the times of the judges. And this family were making daily decisions in, in their lives. And while they're making their decisions in often challenging circumstances that they came across, this was paralleled by God's sovereignty, full of grace and overseeing what's going on and very involved in their lives. Behind the scenes, and very often, the family couldn't see God's hand at work. Sometimes their decisions weren't particularly wise, and yet God's sovereignty is absolutely mind-blowing when you look at how he's working out his purposes. And in Proverbs 16, verse 9, It says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So this morning, I want to look at those two aspects, the decisions that the different characters make and reflecting on the decisions that we make in our lives and God's purposes as we sing, we've been singing recently, even when we can't see it, you're working. So I'd just like to ask God, just to come as we delve into that. And just, Father, I just pray that you would come this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open. Lord, that by your spirit, you would bring down your rain. And Lord, that a harvest would result. Lord, that your word would bring forth fruit and a harvest in our lives. Father, we just ask for your presence. And Lord, that you would speak and be glorified in each one of our lives. Amen. So, an ordinary family. It might feel like it's in the book of Ruth. So this Ruth, this is an amazing family. Before these things unfolded, this family was not heard of. They're an ordinary family, ordinary people just like us. But the decisions that they made not only affected them as an individual but it also affected other family members. So what influenced their decisions and what does or should influence the decisions that we make? And how do we see God's sovereignty and grace at work? In the life of this ordinary family, God was accomplishing his purposes, not only for them, but for us more than 3,000 years later. Incredible. What the decisions that they made and the impact that that has on us today. So the days of the judges where they were living was days that Israel had no king at this time, and everyone did as he saw fit. They'd been brought into the promised land, they'd come through in exile, and now they were living in this cycle of pleasing themselves and then God would bring judgment, they would repent, and he'd bring them deliverance, 
and he'd bring them a judge and they'd be obedient for a while and then again they go back to godless living. And Bethlehem at this time, Bethlehem is called, the name of it means the land of bread. And yet there's a famine. And God had said to the people as they were coming, um, as he was coming through, he said that if they weren't obedient to him, he would bring judgment in the form and punish them for their disobedience and they would have famine. And at this point in time, there is a famine in the land. So Elimelech is the first character that we see. It was a patriarchal society, so the father would take the decision. And his decision was to take his family out of the promised land into another country. So whether he was not trusting God for his provision, whether he thought there wasn't really enough and he wanted better for his family... For whatever reason, he saw fit to take his family out of Bethlehem to leave the land of bread, the land that God had taken them into. They weren't strictly forbidden to leave. However, he took them to Moab. And Moab was probably not the best place to go. When they came out of Egypt and traveled to the promised land, they went through Moab and the Moabites interestingly enough, wouldn't even give them bread or water. Which I found quite fascinating, because if they didn't give them bread and water when they came through, and yet in this time of famine, Elimelech's taking his family to Moab, looking for food. So they were enemies of God. But his decision took his family away from God and trusting in his provision to this pagan land where not only did they not feed them on their way through, they worshipped pagan gods. They escaped famine by doing what was right in Elimelech's eyes, rather than trusting God's provision and promises. How easily do we make decisions where we want to satisfy our physical needs and have comfort in the temporary, rather than trusting God or leaning into him? And even as I was thinking about this, even in small decisions, I don't know about you, but I'm not one of these people that goes without breakfast. When I get up, particularly on a working day, I get up, I have to have food. If I, and before that, I, even more importantly, I have to have a cup of tea. If I don't have my cup of tea and food, then I won't get to work. That is priority. However, more importantly particularly in the job that I'm doing at the moment, if I go without God, I'm in big trouble. Now, that's not to say if I don't spend time with God, he's not with me. I don't hear what I'm not saying. But if I don't have God with me, if I don't feed on him, I'm going to be in more trouble than if I'm a bit hungry. And yet, in my mind, when I get up in the morning, guess which I do first? Of course, I read my Bible. Not. I get my breakfast. And if, I, if I'm a bit short on time, it's my breakfast that I have. It's God that gets pushed to the side. Little decisions sometimes that we make where we don't make the right priorities. Our physical well-being seems more important. So in this case, Eliminate's decision had taken them out of the promised land into the land of the enemies. And Eliminate dies. 
Later on, Naomi blames God for that. And it's not clear whether this was God's judgment or whether in the course of events it wasn't specifically judgment. But he dies. So having taken his family, wanting to provide out into a land where there was food, they are left now. A widow with two sons. And their provision in Elimelech had gone. And yet, God's grace and his sovereignty was on this family. They didn't all die. God had a plan for them and even used those decisions that aren't necessarily the best and is going to turn them around for his purposes. The verse in Romans that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. And that runs through this story. God is working his purposes out. He is sovereign, and he is sovereign in our lives as well. So, having taken Elimelech out of the picture now, we have the two brothers, Marlon and Killian. And in verses 4 and 5 of Ruth, of course, they've grown up. They went to Moab for a short while. They didn't intend to stay. Sometimes we don't intend to get too involved, but just just for a bit. But they've stayed a while. We're told that they were there at least 10 years. It's not clear whether these guys were married for 10 years or whether the family were there for 10 years. But now the boys have grown up and they want wives, they want families. Part of their culture as well. That would have been the normal way of life. So guess what? They don't go back to Bethlehem to find their wives. They've been in that culture. They've been in that environment. People that don't worship the God of Israel, and they find wives for themselves. And they marry Ruth and Orpah. So easily to be influenced by culture. Culture and work things out for ourselves within that. They wanted to fulfill their own desires, to have wives, to have families, to take on the family line. There was nothing wrong with that. But in doing so, they engaged with the enemy of God and went against him. Decisions that we take don't always guarantee the outcome we hope. And in this case, they die. So now the family that have come out of famine to look for better provision have not only one widow, but three widows. Things are not looking great. One is bereft not only of her husband, but her two sons, in which her hope would have been placed for her family. And the two Moabite women who married are left as widows. Not only as widows, but they were childless. And in that culture, that would have had a great shame on it as well. So we have three widows, one mourning her sons and the other two childless. Life is looking hopeless. They have no one to provide for them. It was the men, it was the husbands particularly in that culture that provided. What do they do? They've got pain, they've got grief. And yet, 
Again, God is working his purposes out. In the midst of the darkness, as we sang this morning, there is light. God is working his purposes out, and in the midst of that, his grace in choosing Ruth. Even though she was a Moabite, he saw her heart. And in becoming a wife, a Gentile woman to an Israelite, she was brought in to the Messianic line. We have to jump to the end of the story. Like reading any good book, you go to the end. And as we heard, at the end of the line, Obed is born, who is the the grandfather of King David, who, as we said this morning, David, who is in the line of Jesus. So Ruth, a Gentile, by marrying, is brought into this messianic line. And even by the fact she didn't have a child and it brought shame upon her, that was part of God's plan. Because had she had a child, then the story would have changed. Once again, Romans 8, 28 comes into play. God works all things together for good for those that love him. So, Naomi is now responsible for the family. The males have died, and she has her daughters-in-law. And in the midst of her personal tragedy, she hears that God has provided food in Bethlehem, the land of bread. So she decides that they would go back to God's provision. Now, whether it was because she wanted to go back because they needed food, they needed physical provision, she wanted to provide or whether it's because she's turning back to God, for whatever reason, they go back. What does it take for us to turn back to God? When things are tough, when we can't see him working, when our circumstances maybe seem very dark, what would turn us back to God? How bad do things have to get before we turn back to him? For Naomi... She took her daughters-in-law with her to start with. They set out on the journey. But actually, she, these daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, had been very, very loyal. The word that is used is kindness. And that translation is a type of love called hesed. And it's not done out of obligation. As we were talking this morning about God's love for us and resting in him, This is a love that is not out of obligation, but it's very loyal and it can be depended upon and it's very committed affection and it gives itself to another. And this is the love not only that Orpah and Ruth had showed when they were married to their husbands, but they were now showing that love to Ruth. And, sorry, showing that love to Naomi. Naomi wants what's best for them. She is in a hopeless situation. And she prays that God would bless these women as they have blessed her and her family. And that they would find husbands by going back home. Now, by going back home, they'd be going back to their gods. And yet Naomi saw that as better for them, that they would have a hope 
that they would be able to have a family who would provide for them and continue with their lives and have provision. Naomi was very bitter at this point, bitter with God for taking them out, for not providing for them, and sees God's hand against her. She can't see God's purposes being worked out. And she attributes the tragedy to him. And even in that, she acknowledges his hand. She looks to God. She's, she's saying it's him. And yet she's in a desperate situation. So she prays for these girls to be blessed and to be sent back home where they can have husbands. And finally, Orpah is persuaded. How often when God's ways are not ours, do we lack trust in him and try and reject him because it doesn't fit our plans? Naomi had lost so much. She was complaining to God, yet she's now telling her daughters-in-law to leave. So she'd lost everything, and now she's telling her daughters-in-law to go too. She wants it worked out. She wants the best for them. Was it really for their best? Was it the only way she could work it out? Looking at the practical, the here and now, the provision for them. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of the man that was, there's some floods and he went up onto the roof of his house as the floodwaters increased and he prayed to God and said, God, save me, come and rescue me. And a neighbor went past in a canoe and he says, okay, God's going to rescue me. And then the police went past in a motorboat, and he said again, never say, okay, God will rescue me. And finally, the helicopter comes along, lets the rope down, and says, come on, we'll, we'll rescue you. And he says, no, no, God's going to rescue me. And when the man gets to heaven, he says, God, why didn't you rescue me? And God says, but I sent a canoe and a motorboat and a helicopter, but you didn't get in. And isn't that so often like us, God brings things along, and we don't always recognize it. Because in our thinking, that's not how God was going to do it. God's going to do it this way, my way. Not like that. And sometimes we don't recognize what God is doing. As it says in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, Naomi realizes then that Ruth is determined to go with her. And she yields to Ruth's determination and love. So she returns to the promised land, the land of bread. And her people there didn't recognize her. In seeking relief from the famine, she'd, she now acknowledges that she went away full. I found that fascinating. Ruth is now saying, I went away full. Well, why did she go away? But the Lord has brought me back empty. She's come back at harvest and she's empty. She went away in famine, she was full, come back in harvest empty. There's a real ironic twist there. She's lost family, and she's blamed God. 
But she's come, and she's come back empty. In the beginning, she hadn't got the food that she needed. She hadn't got the physical provision, and yet she had so much more. If, they, if she was full, why did she go? Didn't she recognize the fullness that she had? Was it somebody else's decision? It may well have been that she would go with the family because of following Elimelech's lead. But she recognizes now, later, the fullness that she had at the time. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant. But actually, at the moment, nothing seems pleasant to her. She's empty, and she's come back, and she's now blaming God. She's become bitter and can't see God's hand over her situation. But God has preserved her life. God has brought her back into the land of bread. His grace on her life, regardless of her motivation and her decisions and why she came back, God is the one who brought her back. And she has a faithful daughter-in-law who has come back with her. She has food and the harvest is just beginning. And little does she know that God's love and grace upon her will provide her with a grandson who is going to be the kinsman redeemer for that family. And not only that, the grandfather of King David in the lineage of the Messiah. So that brings us to Orpah and Ruth. The women have been very loyal. They have also suffered pain, the grief in widowhood and shame in childlessness. As far as they know, there is no kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer who would take them um, into the family and carry on the family line would have been a brother-in-law. But there were no brothers-in-law. Both brothers were dead and they were foreigners. And going back to Israel with Naomi would have been very costly. But they set out, both of them, with Naomi to start with. And in an emotional farewell, they both refused to go. They refused Naomi's leading and direction. They refused to go with her. Three times, Naomi persuades them to go. And eventually, Orpah they're under no obligation, and Orpah decides that she will go. Yet she'll go back to her mother's home. She will make her way, and she bids Naomi farewell. Ultimately, Orpah went, even though it was an easy decision. Orpah did nothing wrong in terms of going. She was free to go. She was under no obligation. She'd shown her loyalty to Naomi, and Naomi had released her. And she went back to her people and her gods. She leaves the God of Israel, and she's not heard of again. She exits the story. How often do we think that we've done enough? I've done that, now it's time for me. It's not wrong in itself, 
to follow common sense and be persuaded to do what's best humanly. But often, it can take us away from God. It's a, an option we think of, oh yeah, well I just did that, well that's logical, that's, that's how it should be, without actually asking God. Because of course, we have the privilege of living in the times of the Spirit, where we can ask the Spirit, the Spirit will guide us. We see our own solutions and can wander away from God. Ruth, on the other hand, clings to Naomi. In verse 14, it says, At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. This is a pivotal moment in this story. Have you ever wondered what would happen if Ruth hadn't clung to Naomi? As far as Ruth knew, she was making a decision to serve Naomi, to go with her. As we'll see in a minute, because she's serving her God. Had in that moment Ruth said, no, I'm under no obligation either, I'm going to go home. It would have changed her life. It would have changed her family's life, and it would have changed our lives, our history. In this moment, and as part of God's sovereign plan, she makes that decision. She may never have known the impact of that decision. That simple decision in everyday life to go with her mother-in-law she may never have known the consequences of that and how it affected so many other people. Simple and yet profound in God's purposes. In one of the books that I looked in, the verb cling is the same as that used in marriage in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man cleave unto his wife. Ruth, in total commitment, put care for Naomi before her own interests. Love is not self-seeking, from 1 Corinthians. So this pivotal point for Ruth, for her family, and for us. And even then, when Ruth had said she would cling to Naomi, Naomi was not satisfied and for a fourth time tried to persuade her to go back home. At which point, Naomi says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She was totally committed. She was determined. And I don't believe taking a decision like that, especially when you've been persuaded four times to go back home, that would be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll come with you. I believe Ruth had decided in her heart beforehand and she had decided that she was going to go with Naomi. She was not going to leave her. It's a decision that she'd already decided, or in the moment, it may well have changed. 
Crucially, it wasn't just to serve Naomi. She was serving the God of Israel. She'd seen something of Israel's God, even through the circumstances and the hard times that they'd had. She had seen something of the God of Israel, and now she was giving her allegiance to him. Not only committing herself to him, but to his people, and in so doing, serving Naomi with an ongoing, loyal, selfless love. In doing so, she was giving up any hope of marriage. As far as she knew, there was no kinsman redeemer. And in giving her allegiance to serve Naomi, she then would have not been able to marry into another family. She was giving herself not only for life, not just for a while, but she actually commits to death. And in marriage, where the marriage vows commit until death us do part, Ruth is committing to Naomi, not only to Naomi's death, but to Ruth's death. She says she will be buried there. She has no intention of, well, I'll serve you, and when it's finished with you, I'll go back home. She was giving herself for life to be buried in a foreign land. Going to that foreign land... She was going to be destitute. She was a Moabite. The Israelites didn't like them. They were enemies. She would be despised. And she had no kinsman redeemer, and yet she had a mother-in-law and a bitter mother-in-law to provide for. It was going to cost her dearly. The life circumstances were hopeless. And I think sometimes the pain of Ruth in it is that Naomi's pain comes through, but Ruth too is widowed and childless. But she recognizes the one true God and was willing to serve him in serving Naomi. She sacrificed her own life and trusted God's provision. And her love and determination were irresistible. How often are we willing to sacrifice our lives to serve family with great kindness and devotion at the expense of ourselves? Jesus, talking to his disciples in John 13, says, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As God's people... We heard the other week that we are family. It applies to us as a body too, not just natural family. That's how others will see Jesus in us and want him. And in my own life, when I was asked to preach on Ruth, um, I found it quite interesting. Um, some of you will know that I... Sorry. I was in a position where I had to give up my own life in many ways, um, my job, my home, and I went and served my mum. She had Alzheimer's, and God was very gracious when he called me to go. I went for a night. I said I'd go. She'd had a fall, and that was a turning point. So I went and served for a night to stay there. 
And that night became two, three, and then it became weeks and months and years. Circumstances were tough. Circumstances not only at home and in the care, but circumstances at work took a massive turn and probably the toughest time I've had in my working career as well. And yet, God was faithful. And in that time, God showed me a number of things that I know without that, he wouldn't have been able to do. As we serve him, one of the biggest things, life is not life here on earth. Life is for eternity. The things that we look at and count the cost of giving up, actually, life is so short. I find that as I'm getting older as well. It's like, where has life gone? Life is but a breath. Our life is not down here on earth. Our life is for eternity. And that if we change our perspective on that, it changes our perspective in what we do while we're here. Heaven is our home. And in Hebrews, the people of faith spoke. And they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country where they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Ruth's decision was extremely costly. She had no social services, no wider family or friends where she was going. It was for life. What a cost. And yet, when she went back with her mother-in-law to a foreign land, the whole town was stirred. She had a massive challenge ahead of her, and unlike us, didn't know how her story ends, but was living daily. However, the chapter leaves us with the hope of the barley harvest that was coming. Again, in God's sovereign purposes, he uses the despised. One who was his enemy, but who turned completely to him with all her heart. She recognized the God of Israel and honored him in her selfless decisions and was drawn in as a foreigner to be recorded in the genealogy of Jesus, our Messiah, one of only four women other than Mary, providing not only for one family, but changing the history of humanity. So just in conclusion, we've got the privilege of knowing the end of the story. As we read, <coughs> as we read it, and the opportunity of continuing this story in our lives, as we live out our lives, it's a continuation following through of what God has done until we reach our eternal destiny in heaven if we are believers. The theme of harvest and famine, I was reminded, there's lots of cornfields around at the moment and where Jesus says, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. If as a tiny grain of wheat, we are willing to die, it will produce a great harvest. We are body, we are family, And the decisions we take individually will also affect the whole body. If we choose the most excellent way of love, to serve God firstly, and in so doing, others selflessly, others will see him. Heidi Baker, who works a lot in Africa among the poor, says, Love is a small four-letter word that will cost you everything. Laying down your life, passion and compassion... Giving without expecting, feeling his very heartbeat and surrendering to his rhythm and following the lamb wherever he goes. Some decisions may seem quite big. As we heard the other week, people moving to Penn Hill, quite a big decision. But others are the daily laying down our lives for others in small deeds. How often the decisions we take, like the characters in Ruth, is to do what's right in our own eyes, what's common sense, what's logical, working it out for God rather than looking to him. But we're privileged to have the Spirit of God with us to lead and guide us in his grace and, as we celebrated this morning, his death and the blood of Jesus when we make mistakes. This life is not all there is. The best is yet to come. The cost is small in comparison to our future inheritance. God's ways are not ours. When we're in the midst of tragedy and circumstances seem against us, he's working them together in his love and grace for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We can't always see his hand, and what we see might be a mess, just like a Somebody who's doing a tapestry or cross-stitch, on the back, the threads can look a real mess. And yet, orchestrated on the front is a beautiful picture. Does it matter, the decisions I take, if it all works out in the end, God's sovereign? Yet he seeks hearts that are after him, those who will follow his example, and he rewards those who do so. Will you trust his hand in your life completely? even if you're going through pain and tragedy. He's good for you. He's for you. His provision. Will you choose to love him selflessly and give him your all in the decisions that you take? Sorry, I've gone way over. No, no, you're you're fine. Brilliant. Well done. So good. Yeah, go on, Anita. Lead us. So much good stuff in there.
Um, look, I tell you what we should do. Sorry. I know because I've seen Sharon's notes. She's got some categories that she just felt that God wanted um, us to pray for this morning. Some different groups off the back of um, of what she shared with us. And so, what I'd love, uh, I'd love you, Sharon, just to say what you felt in terms of who we should pray for. And then, just before, as we finish, let's. If you want to respond in that way, we'll all close our eyes, we'll just get before God, and then maybe we could just respond where we are in our seats if, if any of these things kind of, um, you feel God just wanting to deal with you or bless you or uh, just encounter you this morning in any of these categories. So let's, let's close our eyes, let's just get before God now. Just allow him to minister to us by his spirit just as, um, as we close and just in all that uh, Sharon shared with us this morning. Uh, let me just pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this story of Ruth. Lord, I thank you for all that Sharon's unpacked for us this morning. And Lord, just the, there's so much to challenge us there and to provoke us, Lord, and to speak into our hearts. And Father, I just pray that you come by your spirit now. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on each of us. I pray that you would just nudge us and prompt us, Lord. I pray that we might do business with you, Lord, before before we rush off into the next thing in life. Lord, please use this moment. Father, we give ourselves to you now. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Go on, Sharon. Yeah, the first one was, if you don't know the God of Israel, the God of Israel who, through the line of Ruth, sent Jesus to die for us. And as Ruth gave her allegiance to the God of Israel, if you want to serve God, if you've heard, started hearing about him, or you'd just like to know more, then we'd love to talk with you. The second one was for carers. Knowing the costly decisions as you care for another, as you lay your lives down. And or if it might not be in care, if you feel that you're laying yourself down at the moment and just would like God to refresh you and refill you, then I'd love to pray for you, particularly those that are caring full-time with all that goes with that. The third one was those, if you have been challenged in terms of making decisions for God that are selfless rather than trusting yourself or want to take steps towards it. I know sometimes it's not easy. You might think, oh God, I'd like to, but I really don't know if I can right now. If you want to go on that journey or give yourself more to God this morning than that was another one. And finally, those of you that are in circumstances right now where you identify with the pain, with the tragedy, and you can't really see God's sovereign hand working out his purposes and his good for you, then we'd love to pray with you as you go through that, that you would know God's hands with you. Okay, let's just keep our eyes closed. If any of those just speak to you right now, if you want to respond to God, then uh, just it, why don't you stand before him just as a way of responding now. Let's keep our eyes closed and let, let's just allow, uh, just give one another space just for a minute. If God is speaking to you in any of those areas, then just want to invite you just as a way of responding, saying, God, yeah, I want to do business with you. I want you, I need your help in this, Lord, actually. I want to be filled with your spirit again. Then why don't you stand as just a way of responding to God, saying, yes, me, Lord, in that. Please, please come by your spirit. I think there's probably one or two more. Don't be, don't be afraid. This is between you and God. 
there's just an opportunity right now to respond. And just going to ask Sharon now to pray for us. Yeah, Father God, I just want to thank you for who you are. Father, thank you that you are sovereign in every circumstance of life. Lord, you are the one that works all things together for our good. And Father, I just ask for those that are here this morning, Lord, that cannot see your hand on them right now, Lord, that are suffering, going through in pain. Lord, I just pray that you would, by your spirit, touch their hearts, Lord, that they would know your hand upon them, Lord, that they would know that you haven't abandoned them, but you are with them. And you are working out your purposes. Father, I just ask that you would give them strength to carry on. And Father, for those that pour themselves out for others, Father, I just pray that you would be their all in all. Father, thank you for those that serve selflessly. Father, I just pray that you would refresh them by your spirit, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on them. Lord, that you would give them moments with you that are significant. Father, that you would give them rest. Lord, that you, they would work. Lord, even as Liz spoke last week, Lord, that you would give them your plan. And Lord, that in all that they do and in the busyness, Lord, that they would know what you are calling them to. And Lord, that you will give them the strength for all you've called them to. And Father, I just pray for those that are here before you this morning and, Lord, want to serve you in new ways, Lord, in ways maybe they haven't given themselves fully to you before. Father, lead them on in you, I pray. Lord, take them deeper. Help them to know your hand upon them and your equipping by your spirit. Lord, it's not something that we can do on our own. But, Lord, it's receiving from you to lay ourselves down before you and to serve others. And, Father, I just pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't yet know you. Lord, I pray that as they explore that, that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, for your hand to be upon them. And, Lord, that today would be a day that they remember when their life was changed forever. And Father, I just ask for your blessing upon each one of us. Lord, that you would help us to walk with you. Lord, in the decisions we make, in the small deeds of service, in the the daily walk with you. Lord, help us to walk as Ruth did. And Lord, not to count the cost to ourselves, but Lord, to give ourselves completely to you. Father, we just ask for your equipping by your spirit. Lord, we acknowledge we can't do it alone. Lord, it's not about doing, but it's about being in you. And Lord, letting you enable us to do that. Father, help us to play our part, that you would be glorified in our lives, in this church, and in the town and the nations that we serve. For your glory. Amen.